Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for your glory, for your goodness, for your consistency, for the fact that you called us to yourself and named us as the family of God. We praise and thank you for that. And we are in a season where we are watching day by day and acknowledging day by day that this is the season that came historically before that day that you went to the cross and suffered so much that we might have life and life abundantly. Father, the world is full of uh, turmoil. Our nation is full of turmoil. There is fear on every side. And yet you have said, come unto me and I will give you rest. And you do. You fulfill the promise of contentment, of rest for our souls. And Lord, we do cast our souls upon you. We cast our cares and our worries upon you. And we say we will rejoice in the Lord our Savior. I pray for, we pray for Pastor Ray as he comes today to uh, bring us your word. We, we pray for our music team who has prepared so diligently to lead us into the throne room where we may praise and worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I want to put a little plug in to what Linda said about inviting people in for that Sunday morning Easter service because it was years ago that this couple came and experienced the sunrise service and look at what's happened to them now. We, pra <laughs> we praise God for the opportunity to have them in our presence. And so I encourage others and today being March 19th, there's some days that are just more important than other days that they just jump out at you because of some blessing. Well, it was years ago that a friend of mine who led me to Christ was her birthday today. So it holds a special place for me. So at any rate, soaring in victory. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In the third chapter of John, Jesus teaches us the new birth is something that God does for this world as we yield ourselves to him and put our faith and trust in Christ. We do not have within ourselves the seed of the new life. It must come from God. One day, an ugly caterpillar climbs into a tree, spins its silky robe about itself. It goes to sleep and in a few weeks emerges as a beautiful butterfly. So we, discouraged, unhappy, hounded by guilt, confused, depressed, vainly looking for an escape, can come by faith to Christ and then emerge as a new person. We can be born again. It sounds incredible, even impossible, and yet it's precisely what happens. We become members of God's family, looking forward to our eternal home in heaven. Do you feel like you're in a cocoon? Turn to Christ and ask him to give you your beautiful wings so that you might soar above your problems and be victorious over them. And the hope for today, one of the most glorious things about coming to Christ is that we don't have to be who we've been, but we are repurposed and our old selves we become a new creation, a new life in Christ, abundant and free. What joy is mine. And with that, let us lead us into worship. Praise the Lord. 
forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Him. So forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Him. So forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Christ the Lord. Worship Him, Christ the Lord. Let us lift up holy Magnify his name and worship Christ the Lord. Worship him, Christ the Lord. Worship him, Christ the
Psalm 101 as a proclamation of intent and a good pattern for a godly life. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death has no, no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Amen. Sorry, I was having trouble keeping alignment. Um, if you join me in the responsive reading, sing aloud, beloved, rejoice for the ministers of Christ's church, for the people who gather and pray, who care the needs of others. We pray for God's mercy to come forth. Sing aloud, beloved, rejoice for the broken and those suffering, for the chaff in our own lives. May it burn so that new life comes. We pray for God's grace and love. Sing aloud, beloved, rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created all. You saw fit to create the universe, to bring it into being. And then you chose to share it with others. You brought all manner of species and, and creatures and, and, and us into this world. And you chose to share all of, your, all of your creation with us, Lord. So there's many things that we have, many talents, many capabilities, many assets, but you do call on us to share with others to give back, to hold back so that we can appreciate or show that we do appreciate all that you are, 
all that you, you, you let us be. And Lord, we know we must fear you, but it just, it's just as much we love you. So we ask you to bless the gifts we give today that we may be better in your sight. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
pray. Father God, you gave it all when you sent us your son. We will never understand the separation that occurred on the cross between you and your son. Lord Jesus, you gave it all on the cross. It is such a small thing that we should consider to give you our all. But make it so, Lord. Free our hearts and minds to give you our all this day and every day in honor of the sacrifice of your Son, Father God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And also bless every word of this sermon for your glory and the exhortation of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Show us slide one, please. <clears throat> From E.H. Peterson. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, Then King David went and sat before the Lord. David sat. This was possibly the single most critical act of David's life. This action of inaction was more critical than killing Goliath, more critical than David honoring King Saul as God's anointed, even though Saul was trying to kill him. Sitting before God was more critical than bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Why? Because in sitting before God, David abdicated his kingly authority, got himself out of the driver's seat, and deliberately, reverently placed himself at the King of Heaven. When David sat down before God, it was trading in his plans for God's plans. When we give the Lord the driver's seat in our lives, that's when life makes sense. That's when we find our joy, our peace, our contentment in his purposes instead of ours. Slide two, please. There are basically four categories of people on this earth. Those who love God and serve Him. Those who feign to love God and only want to use Him. Those who have no use for God, even if they believe He exists. And those who want God. Our video this morning is for those of us who love God and desire to give him our everything. That places us in category number one. But let's skip ahead to category number three. I want to read you a quote from Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. If you've got your iPhone handy, you offer Steve a thank you. This is from his commencement address that he delivered at Stanford University not long before his death. Jobs had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he knew he was dying. He addressed his pending death to the graduates by saying, our time on earth is limited, so think carefully about how you spend it. But most consider the following to be the highlight of Jobs' speech, where he said this, don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you want to become. Everything else 
is secondary. If you applied this credo to your spiritual life, acknowledging that your inner voice, your heart, your intuition to be the workings of the Holy Spirit, your spiritual life would have a pretty excellent roadmap. But Jobs isn't thinking about spiritual things here. He's telling his audience, you are your own Savior. But for all Jobs accomplished in his life, he died without knowledge of God. Jobs said he didn't believe in God, but he did, however, believe in a higher intelligence. Sadly, one day he will stand before that higher intelligence to give an account of his life, including his refusal to believe. It seems that we could safely place Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and a host of astrophysicists like Stephen Hawking into category number three. Those who have no use for God, even if they believed he exists. But what about our second group of people, those who feign to believe in God, but only wish to use him? Who could we put in this category? Well, I would say a number of tele-evangelists tele come to mind, but I, I won't name names. So riddle me this. Who was Jesus speaking of Matthew chapter 7? Slide 3, please. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You who break God's laws. God can, he has, and he will use even charlatans to promote his gospel. But they will face his judgment for what they add to and what they omit from that gospel. Those charlatans will hear the condemnation from the Lord Jesus. And I'm quoting from Matthew 7:23, the message. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. When Jesus says to you, depart from me, he's saying, you see that door over there marked hell? That's your exit. There's going to be a lot of televangelists, popes, false teachers, and so on in hell. But who else will be there? Those who refuse to believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And then we have those who can never be saved. I'll say that again. Those who can never be saved. Who are these people who can never be saved? Never be redeemed. Slide four, please. From Hebrews chapter. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 from the message. Once people have seen the light, gotten a taste of heaven, and been part of the work of the Holy Spirit, once they've personally experienced the sheer goodness of God's Word and His powers breaking in on us, if then they turn their backs on it, washing their hands of the whole thing, well, they can't start over as if nothing happened. That's impossible. They have re-crucified Jesus. They've repudiated him in public. We are remiss if when we accept Christ, we do not announce and proclaim Christ in public. That is a very huge part of our salvation, is to proclaim our faith in Christ in public they will have repudiated him in public. You've heard of the unpardonable sin. This is it. Once you've tasted the goodness of God, seen and felt his presence in your life, and then turn your back on him, deny him, you cannot 
be saved. If you continue to refuse his grace, God will harden your heart just as he did Pharaoh. And destruction will be your end. But you say, but Peter denied Christ. True, but he repented. When there's no repentance in your heart, it's too late. You're under the curse of unbelief. Peter did not return to his life of sin. He did not disavow all that God had done for him, all that Jesus died for. It's okay to stumble. It's not okay to refuse to get up and tell God, you have nothing for me. There is no help in you. You say, but the Bible says with God, nothing is impossible, truly. Nothing is impossible with God but this. And that's why it's called unpardonable. There is a sin for which there is no pardon. Slide five, please. Hebrews chapter two from the Living Bible. For since the messages from angels have always proved true and people have always been punished for disobeying them, what makes us think that we can escape if we are indifferent to this great salvation announced by the Lord Jesus himself and passed on to us by those who heard him speak? What's the opposite of love? It's not hate. Indifference. Those who are indifferent to this great salvation Lord, help us. Scripture is clear that if you have tasted the good things of God and walk away, you can never be restored to God. Turning your back on Jesus is not the same as backsliding. You can repent of backsliding. You can repent of losing your way. But there is no repentance for turning your back and denying Christ and walking away from his grace. Predestination, as taught by hyper-Calvinism, says if you were predestined by God to receive his love and salvation, nothing can prevent you from entering heaven. This is not true. Orthodox Presbyterians, a.k.a. Calvinists, will tell you that anyone who turns their back on Jesus was never saved in the first place. I disagree. And all this brings us to our text for the sermon today, which I've entitled The Curse of Unbelief. Slide six, please. From John 12, verses 37 through 50, from the NLT. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people could not believe, for as Isaiah said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Why? Because they saw the power of God. They tasted his truth and still rejected Jesus as Messiah and thereby they were rejecting God himself. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. You reject the uh, Lord enough times and he will harden your heart to where you cannot believe. Slide seven, please. 
Then Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. That's called backsliding. For I have come to save the world, not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I will not judge or condemn those who hear, but don't obey. Disobedience is not rejecting Christ. This is rejecting Christ. When you were drowning in the sea of sin and self, Jesus reached down his hand and saved you and brought you safely to the shore. But if you jump back into that sea, saying to Jesus, I don't need you, I don't need saving, he will not come rescue you again. Disobedience will not condemn you to hell. You need to repent of that disobedience, but it will not condemn you to hell. But to reject Jesus, turn your back on him, that will send you to hell. This is the curse of unbelief. I have run far, far away from Christ in my time. I rejected his calling on my life, but I did not reject him. I never denied him. In my deepest sin, I never denied him. I knew he was right and I was wrong. But I did not deny him. You see, disbelief and unbelief are the same thing. And either one will send you to hell. Slide 8. John three seventeen through 18, the NLT. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. For not believing in God's one and only son. Slide 9, please. Back to John chapter 12. Jesus speaking. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. And what has the Father told him to say? I have come as a light to shine in this dark world. So that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. The Greek word translated into English as dark is skodia. It means the darkness of evil, sin, or moral depravity. In the metaphorical sense, it represents the ignorance of divine truth, man's sinful nature, and the total absence of God's light. If you're not happy, if you don't have the joy of the Lord... You might not be in the dark, Scotia, but you very well might be living in the shadows of it. It's like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Either you focus on the light or you focus on the shadows. The choice is yours. Choose light. There's an expression in the South. If you spend any time in the South, you've probably heard this. I can see a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm reasonably sure it's not a train. You cannot mistake God's light. Scripture says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. But everything he does is counterfeit, including his light. My roommate and lifelong best friend in seminary, told me of a time when he was in high school. He had overdosed on drugs. And he said, I saw this angel of light coming toward me. 
And when he got close, he started laughing this horrific laugh. But I remembered the light that surrounded him. But he got right up to my face and he said, now you're mine. And I screamed, Lord Jesus, help me. And Jesus helped him. Still my best friend. How do you distinguish between God's light and Satan's light? God's light is always, always accompanied by peace. Satan's light is always, always covered in dark shadows of fear and doubt. So where in Scripture is this curse of unbelief found? Slide 10, please. I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 through 28 from the Amplified. Behold today, this is Father God speaking. Behold today, I am sitting before you a blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if you listen to and obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But you will be cursed if you do not listen to and obey my commandments and turn aside from the way which I am commanding you by worshiping other gods. What other gods could have slipped into our lives? Those of which we are unaware or have dismissed. Money, perhaps? Career? Hobbies? Children? Facebook, I'm not preaching against Facebook, but I am amazed how many people literally live their lives on Facebook. There are times you think, oh my, TMI, TMI, too much information. But that's why I'm not on Facebook. I don't have time for all the drama. Other gods, what are those other gods in our lives? Do we have some? Anything we give more priority than our relationship with the Lord Jesus will eventually become another God. If you spend more time watching Jay Leno's Garage or the Food Channel than you spend in the Word, you just might be establishing another God. Back to Steve Jobs. Back to his quote. He said, don't be trapped by dogma which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Job's definition of dogma is spot on. Other people's thinking. God's word espouses no dogma, only the truth, only God's thinking. We only run into dogma in denominationalism, other people's thinking, man's thinking. Not God's thinking. There's an excellent description of uh, religious dogma. Making God what I want him to be. Not who he is, but who I want him to be. If you need a case in point of religious dogma, the Catholic Church always presents an awfully big target. I recently heard an interview with the cardinal, uh, the high-ranking cardinal of the New York Diocese. He said, and I quote, the church, meaning the Roman Catholic Church, has higher authority than Scripture. I'm glad I wasn't sitting within 10 feet of him when he said that. What he was saying is how the Roman Catholic Church interprets Scripture is more authoritative than Scripture itself. Only the Vatican has authority to translate Scripture. When you replace the rhema of the Holy Spirit, when you read the Bible, that ink comes off the page and comes alive in your heart by way of the rhema of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit. When you replace that rhema that speaks the truth of God's word, when you replace it with dogma, you get heresy. 
1 John 2, 26 and 27 from the NLT. I am writing these things to you to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. You have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true and not a lie. If you're deep enough in God's word, you don't need a teacher. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. I'm just here to remind you of what you should already know. The sole authority for the true and inerrant interpretation of Scripture is the Holy Spirit of the living God. Not man. Not man's thinking. If you can't find it clearly stated in Scripture, it's a lie. So when the Vatican says it's okay to pray to statues of the saint, and they say, oh, that's not idolatry. Really? What else can you call praying to idols? When the Vatican says you should pray to Mary because she is divine, even though Scripture clearly states she is not divine, what do you call that other than dogma? Or how about this, false teaching? There is nowhere in Scripture we are commanded or encouraged to pray to Mary or anyone but Father God. Jesus taught us only one way to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We pray to the God who saves us and no one else because no one else can save us. I'm not bashing the Catholic Church. Every church, every denomination has its dogma. Every denomination has its dogma. But when man's thinking contradicts God's word, when man's thinking does not align with the truth of Scripture, what results is a faith that does not save. I have several Catholic friends. They have personal and vibrant relationships with Jesus. They are born-again Christians. They love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They are more evangelical than most evangelicals I know. In San Antonio, Texas, you'll find some of the most on-fire Christians in the world who happen to be Catholics. But they do not follow the dogma of the Vatican. Again, there is a false faith, a faith that does not save. Praying to or placing faith in Mary or any other saint will not save you. Mary did not die on a cross for my sins, and therefore I will not pray to Mary. Slide 11. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave us his life to purchase freedom for everyone. You notice there's no litany of saints mentioned here. I try to witness to every Catholic I meet, I simply reference Scripture. I let the Word of God defend itself. We should do the same for every Jehovah's Witness and Mormon who knocks on our door. Just let the Word of God speak for itself. Do you realize that the central theme in all of St. Paul's letters to the churches are number one, keeping a pure faith. Number two, identifying false teaching and rebuking it. A rebuke can be gracious. You can say respectfully, I disagree and here's why. I believe this is what God's word says. God is gracious, therefore we must be gracious. But how gracious is our God? 
he manifests a favorable attitude to all his creatures, even the unrighteous. This is called common grace. Have you heard of common grace? Let's talk about common grace. God is good to even those who curse him. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Father causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew 5.45 God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Luke 6.35 All of us, saint and sinner, righteous and unrighteous, have been given hearts and mind a soul that resonates with and gravitates to the love of God. But we have also been given a rational mind, a free will, with which we can ration away, reason away this grace, this goodness and truth, if we so desire. What we call common grace is really amazing grace. It is truly amazing that a holy God would tolerate the prodigal in all of us. We all play the prodigal at some point in our lives. Some of us make a career of it. I'm not pointing my finger without three pointing back to me. I have made a long career out of being a prodigal. God is amazingly patient with each and every one of us. And Jesus portrays this graciousness, this mercy in our loving father in his story of the prodigal son. You know the story. The son who squandered his inheritance on faithless friends and wild living only to come home ragged, starving, begging for mercy. And what did the prodigal find? He found a loving father who sat on his front porch every evening of the world, waiting, longing, incessantly searching the far horizon, looking for even a speck on that horizon that might be his wayward son. And when that day finally arrived, the father's son is, saw his son afar off and he leapt out of his chair and ran to him. I call that a loving God. And what happened? Chastisement, scolding, an arrogant, I told you so. No. Instead, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the fatted calf. I'm throwing a feast of celebration for my son who I feared was dead and is now alive. He has returned. I don't care who you are or where you come from. This is your story. This is our story. It is a story of a loving father, his amazing grace to all, and all we have to do is believe. If you want to be embraced by a loving God and receive that amazing grace, all that's required is to say yes. Let us pray. Lord, we all have sins we need to confess this morning. We need to repent every day of our lives. Lord, forgive my sins, my sins against you, my sins against others, whether they were spiteful, unthinking, or calculated. Father, I will from this day forward openly declare that the Lord Jesus Christ is now and forever the Lord of my life. Father, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead and thereby I have eternal life. I believe that according to your word, I have been made right with you through the blood of your Son. Amen. 
For my benediction this morning, I want to read for you 1 John 4, 9 through 12 from the NLT. We'll pick up our 10 questions next week. 1 John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Make it so, Lord. Blessings to you all. for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God?
pray. Heavenly Father, as we go out, let us be in that first category. Let us love you, continue to love you, know you, and get to know you better every day. Lord, our hearts are open for your word. Our minds, sometimes we don't quite understand, but we'll get there. So, Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your son. This we ask in his name. Holy Jesus, amen. Go in peace.